I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're continuing our Christ-centered mentoring series and talking about how to respond to sin and weakness in others' lives. This can be such a challenge when you're mentoring someone or in any kind of leadership or just seeking to be a Christ-like example to people close to you, and you see sinful strongholds or bondage or weakness, and you're wondering, do I confront them? How do I handle this? How do I respond to that? And so we're going to dive into that from a biblical perspective. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that this week only, we have a very exciting opportunity. If you've ever thought about coming to Ellerslie, which is an in-depth discipleship program based in Colorado, we have five-week and week-long programs in 2023, but we have a scholarship giveaway going on right now where we're giving away 10 full-ride scholarships to these programs. So if this is something that really intrigues you, we feel a nudge to come away from the distractions of your daily life and go deeper with Jesus and become grounded in truth, this is a great opportunity to enter to win one of those 10 full-ride scholarships. If you're interested, just click the link in this podcast description or go to ellerslie.com to learn more about that giveaway. It's happening now through February 28th. We'd love to have you enter and we'd love to see you in Colorado this year. So let's talk about responding to sin and weakness in others' lives. Now, I did do an episode on how to confront sin in others back in 2017, but if you weren't able to tune into that, or even if you did, I want to revisit some of those principles in the context of mentoring and ministry, because this is a really confusing issue, and so many of us just don't know what to say or do when we see sin and weakness in somebody else's life. I know for me personally, there have been a lot of times throughout my Christian walk when I stayed silent when I should have taken a stand on behalf of the soul of another person. There have been other times when I've spoken and I should have held back and I should have waited for God's timing. I have found that the key in knowing when to speak and when to hold back and wait and pray is staying connected to Jesus as my vine, always letting my words and actions reflect his nature and be prompted by his spirit rather than just rushing ahead with my own wisdom in that situation. Because it is really easy to allow fear and intimidation and concern for what other people think of us, keep us silent when we need to be fighting for their soul and we need to be speaking boldly into their life. And it's also very easy to try to speak truth in a very fleshly and unchristlike way, which actually destroys the effectiveness of what we're trying to do in the first place. One example that I always remember is a young woman that I knew back when I was in high school, and she was not from a Christian family, and she had a lot of unhealthy influences in her life, and she was starting to go down a pretty dangerous path, and one young lady who was her neighbor just decided to boldly speak into her life and say, you know, God has something better for you than this lifestyle. And she said later, all she needed was one voice of truth to tell her there's something better than this. And it made her stop and think about the path that she was walking down. And if that one young lady, that one Christian girl hadn't been willing to just boldly speak into her life, I think about where the trajectory of that girl's life would have gone. So sometimes God can use our words very powerfully in another person's life. We have to be very in tune with him and his spirit and very equipped by him to do so in a healthy and Christ-like way. 
I'd like to share with you a few principles if you are working with someone or have someone in your life where you're seeing sin and you're not quite sure what to do. These are principles that have served me very well in helping me stay on track with responding to sin in someone else's life and responding with a truth-based approach. The first one is to remove the plank from our own eye. And of course, that's Jesus' command that says, before you go and try to remove a speck from your brother's eye, take the time to remove the plank from your own eye. So one of the things that I have started to do in the last 10 or 15 years or so, whenever I feel like I need to confront sin in somebody else's life, is just take some time to let God search my heart and remove any dross or just show me anything that needs to be repented of in my own life, needs to be cleansed out of my own life before I just rush ahead and try to think that I'm going to see so clearly to confront sin in somebody else's life. The reality is that if we are in bondage to sin ourselves, if we have willful sin in our life, habitual sin in our life, or if we're just not staying sharp in our spiritual life, where we're letting God shine that searchlight into our heart and soul and saying, Lord, search me, O God, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're failing to do that. We won't see as clearly as we think we're going to. And that's Jesus' whole point. You're not going to be able to see the speck in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own eye. And so it might seem clear to you or to me, but if we're not really walking in the light, if we're not really right with God and we haven't really made things right or purged that sin out of our life, we're only going to see a blur and we're going to cause more harm than good if we try to confront sin from that place of having unconfessed sin in our own life. And another key is to wait for God's timing. It is so important to let God guide us and lead us because sometimes we just feel that desire, that that heat of emotion. I just want to go in and confront this person and have it out with them and tell them what I think of them. When we don't wait for God's timing, we're we're oftentimes prone to react out of emotion and frustration. And I know I've been guilty of this with my own children. When I see something in their lives that I don't like, but I speak out of emotion and frustration, it doesn't actually breed healthy fruit. If I take a step back and say, okay, Lord, give me the grace to speak this in a Christ-like way, they can actually hear me when I'm willing to do that. And again, we have to be spending time in the word of God every day, abiding in the vine and letting him lead and guide us into understanding when the timing is right to speak. It's so important to lay a foundation in prayer. And I love what Oswald Chambers says, God does not give us discernment about another person so that we can criticize them, but so that we can intercede for them. And a lot of times we skip that step, but laying the foundation in prayer, it prepares our heart and it prepares the soil of the other person's heart to actually receive truth. Another thing that I often do, if I feel like I'm supposed to speak boldly into someone's life, especially about a sin issue, is I'll take time to resist the enemy and not allow him him to interfere with the conversation or bring sort of confusion and human emotion into it. So just taking the time to remind Satan that he has no authority or ability to thwart and hinder God's purposes for that conversation has been really key and really powerful in seeing a breakthrough come. It's really important that we don't speak out of emotion or frustration, but out of truth and love for the other person. As it says in James, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The wrath of man does not actually produce any kind of heavenly fruit, even though we think it does, because we rush in there, we're angry, we think we have a righteous indignation, but a lot of times it's a fleshly indignation because we're speaking out of emotion. So again, those things, waiting for God's timing, letting God guide you, laying that foundation in prayer, 
protects us from just rushing in out of emotion and frustration and bungling the situation because we didn't allow God to work through us. Here are a few other key truths that I've shared about in other episodes, but I really feel like they're worth revisiting specifically in the context of mentoring. And one of them is to choose to honor Christ over the good opinion of other people. It's really easy to have that desire for peace at all costs, but that can easily lead to compromise. The word of God tells us we should live at peace with others as far as it depends on us, but we should never dishonor our relationship with God in an attempt to preserve peace in earthly relationships. Our commitment to Jesus Christ has to take priority over every other relationship in our lives. And it says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my father who is in heaven. And those are really poignant words. When we choose to live according to the standards of Christ, other people, even other Christians, family members, those who are mentoring, may not understand the path that we've chosen to walk. And relational tension may come. Questions may come. But that shouldn't be a shock to us because Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 35 through 37, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother-in-law, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, of course, his intention is not to splinter families, but he's saying that if we put even family relationships above our loyalty to him, we're choosing the good over the best. And relational tension will often come when we choose to walk that set apart path with Jesus Christ. And when we're in a mentoring relationship, it can lead to uncomfortable territory. A lot of times people want a mentor who is just going to kind of pat them on the back and tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear and not challenge them. And so when you challenge them or when you yourself live a life that is different and has higher standards than the way they're choosing to live, it could breed tension. But we need to remember how important it is to honor our relationship with Christ above just trying to gain approval and favor with the person that we're mentoring. Amy Carmichael said in her book, if, if I'm afraid to speak the truth, lest I lose affection or lest the one concerned say, you do not understand then I know nothing of Calvary love. Or if I blunt the edge of truth, speaking not right things, but smooth things, then I know nothing of Calvary love. So again, those are ways to keep our relationship with Christ at the forefront and put the opinion of other people as a far distant second. If it's possible to maintain peace and favor with someone and still honor Jesus Christ, then by all means we can do that. But if it's going to breed relational tension in order to stand for Jesus, we always have to choose to stand with Jesus and for Jesus. Another key I found is to have the right attitude. When we speak truth, we have to have the nature of Christ as we speak truth. I have met so many young Christians, especially young Christians, seem to be a little bit more prone to this, who are very arrogant and snarky and prideful in what they're trying to share with others. And that is very counterproductive. That will not open anyone's soul to the truth. It says in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ 
may be ashamed. Now, meekness here means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and fear means reverence or fear of God, which is the opposite of pride or arrogance. So in mentoring relationships, don't make the mistake of speaking or acting upon the truth of Christ in an unchristlike way, because that destroys your ability to lead them to Christ. It only gives those who are struggling with sin more reasons to disregard the gospel and the truth. If we're fleshly and we're prideful in how we deliver truth. Ask God for the grace to not merely take a strong stand for truth as you speak into someone's life, but to do that with genuine humility and gentleness. Resist that temptation to react out of frustration and emotion when someone you care about is behaving in an ungodly way. And if you become the brunt of accusation and irritation because of your stand for truth, make sure it's for the right reasons and not because you have the wrong attitude. As it says in James 1.20, we've mentioned this before, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, another key I want to mention with this is that we shouldn't confuse godly discernment with a critical spirit. If we are just judging others and we're harsh towards others and we're criticizing others, we can easily label that and say, well, I have all this godly discernment. But if that is our attitude, it's not godly discernment. Maybe we're discerning something, but it's a fleshly reaction to something that we're discerning. If you see something that frustrates you in somebody else's life, one of the best things you can do is go to prayer because prayer can change your perspective and soften your heart where you're still grieved over the sin, but you have a deep abiding love and concern for that soul and you're willing to approach them with the nature and the love of Christ. Another practical that I've mentioned multiple times on multiple episodes is not to underestimate the power of prayer. Eric's sister prayed for him for multiple, multiple years and just didn't really see any change in his life, but she continued to pray and believe that God would arrest his soul. And that's exactly what happened because of her faithful praying. Sometimes the hardest people to believe for are those we're close to, or those maybe we're mentoring, where we're just seeing all the junk in their lives and we're thinking, oh, I don't think they're ever going to change. Or maybe it's a family member that you're seeking to be a good influence with. Don't let the enemy destroy your faith for that person or for that family member. Because remember, God is the one who does the work to change them, not you. You're not putting your faith in them or their ability to change or not change. You're putting your faith in God. And his power is so much greater than any sinful stronghold you might see in somebody else's life. Amy Carmichael said, if in dealing with one who does not respond, I weary of the strain and slip from under the burden, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I fear to hold another to the highest goal because it is so much easier to avoid doing so, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Let's not slip from under that burden. Let's fight for the souls that we care about. A few more thoughts about how to avoid a critical spirit. Now, this is so important because we can adopt a critical spirit and then it will totally destroy our ministry. It says in Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. If we are wise in our own eyes, we are not going to be sensitive to what the spirit of God is doing. So don't become so arrogant and confident in what you have and what the other person doesn't have that you're wise in your own eyes. It says in Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It's so easy to forget that if we see something clearly and somebody else doesn't, it's because of the grace of God. It's not because of anything we did that we have that grip on truth. It's because of the grace of God. And the Bible does not mince words on this point. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. It says in Proverbs 26, 12, or Isaiah 5, 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. 
Even Paul, who was this chief among the brethren and this leader, this leader apostle that God had anointed and equipped to lead the early church, says, not as though I had already attained or were already perfect. That's in Philippians 3.12. So be very wary of thinking highly of yourself or cultivating a prideful attitude because that will get you nowhere in influencing the soul. Another key is to be watchful of self-justification. If we're trying to justify in our own lives sin and compromise, we are not going to be sensitive to the Spirit of God or to lead anybody else to truth. And we mentioned that before, but I just wanted to quickly revisit it because self-justification says, well, you know, I'm more mature. I can allow this into my life, but this person can't. We always need to be coming before God and saying, Lord, purge anything that might stand in the way of me reflecting your glory and not to constantly justify compromise in our life because again that will destroy our ability to mentor and lead others to Christ. Another key is to not fight for a high position, but to choose the lowest place. Let God lift you up in his own time. Sometimes we can use our handle or our grip on truth for a position of esteem among our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But it says in James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Luke 19.17 says, because you were faithful in a very little, I will give you authority over 10 cities. That's that principle of being faithful with what's right in front of you and God God will entrust you with more. Don't try to take the highest place. And a lot of times people use ministry as a way of taking the highest place. And it's really scary to look at what Jesus says about the Pharisees, how they love the praise of men. They love to act, you know, like they've got a handle on truth and have other people esteem them because of that. And then to translate that into what we often see in modern ministry, where we feel like we deserve better treatment because we are maybe closer to God or have a better grip on truth. We need to run far and away from that prideful attitude. We need to be willing to choose that lowest place and let God entrust us with more when he's ready to, to be faithful, even in the little things, even those relationships or those conversations that no one's going to see. It's never going to be posted about on social media. No one's ever going to applaud us for it. If we are faithful in those things, that is when God decides to entrust us with more. And another key is to choose gratitude and prayer over a critical spirit. So instead of just sitting around thinking about how this person has this fault and that fault and you need to correct this and correct that, be grateful that God has brought this person into your life. Be grateful for the opportunity to have an influence in their life and go to prayer and be thankful that God is even willing to work through us to reach other people. A critical spirit never leads to anything good or godly. So let's kick it out of our lives and choose to say, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your love. Give me your actions and attitudes that I can actually lead others to truth in a beautiful and Christ-centered way. Here are a few final thoughts that I want to share about confronting sin and dealing with sin in other people's lives. It is more than possible to stand firm in your convictions and confront sin in other people's lives while still exuding the love and the humility of Christ. But it doesn't happen by accident. It's so important to look at the scriptures and study the examples there, the example of Jesus and the example of strong yet humble leaders like maybe Moses or David or Paul and see how they blended that incredible picture of godly strength with humility. 
While you are growing in your own discernment, ask God to infuse you with his heart, his burden for those who are lost and those around you in the body who are compromising. Ask him to equip you to operate in an attitude of love and grace. Otherwise, your zeal and passion for truth will be rendered completely ineffective. Now, next episode, we're going to go into some practical ways that you can confront sin, specific conversations that you can have. But these heart attitudes are absolutely critical to get on top of before we even attempt to go after sin or compromise in somebody else's life. So that is why we're laying the foundation. I'd encourage you to take this area of your life before God this week and say, Lord, make me a vessel, a conduit of your love, not of a critical spirit, but of one who can truly speak the truth in love. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into building a set-apart life, check out the many resources that we have for you at our website, setapartgirl.com. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-focused week.